0: everybody welcome back to we and you where we talk about the kentucky commission on human rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area i am terrence sullivan
1: and i'm Brittany cook Broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn building.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Today we have a special guest and we also have, it's our second week in a row with Brittany back. Things are back to normal. (laughs) Um. but we, oh, what is- yeah, we are back to normal. The The gang is back together. Um, but today we have K.A. Owens. Um, K.A., do you want to introduce yourself?
2: I'm K.A. Owens. And, uh, I actually have a, a program on the same uh, station that uh, you all are on 106.5 FM. My show is on the edge with K.A. Owens. And also I, uh, do some work with various org- organizations in the community, uh, Uh, one of which is the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. And we've been doing some work on the Breonna Taylor case and have been around, uh, that particular organization has been around for over 40-some years. Uh, uh, Formerly, I was chair of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Uh, I was on the board of America 2000, which doesn't exist anymore. and uh, I've done some work on campaigns as well. I worked on the uh, Jim Gray campaign uh, 2016. And also I worked on the Eleanor Jordan campaign uh, over, over uh, 20 years ago. First campaign I got paid to work on. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, I've done some community organizing around issues and uh, I've done some political organizing as well.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. So, K.A., you know, I commend you because we just kind of ended up in a conversation yesterday, and um, that conversation flowed into me asking you to be on our show um, with very little (laughs) preference preface of what we would be um, doing here today. Uh, So as we had spoke about briefly before, I would love to keep this very conversational um, and just get some insight and opinions, especially in regards to your work with the Kentucky Alliance. So we had spoke yesterday regarding some of what is coming out amongst um, the discrimination against the Jewish community in these training videos within the state. Can you speak a little bit more on that?
2: Absolutely, and now what I'd like to do is to read uh, a statement issued by the Kentucky Alliance on Sunday, December the 6th at these media events we've been doing ever since the uh, Breonna Taylor case, uh, we which we, talk a lot about the Breonna Taylor case, but also sort of police issues in general. So, more issues have been brought to light regarding improper training material being used by Kentucky Department of Criminal Justice training instruction, more Nazi symbolism, a Sonnenrad, black son, being used in training materials. Unfortunately, this matches up with previous issues involving Nazi concepts being taught at the Kentucky State Police Academy. Again, we want to thank the student journalists at Manuel High School for their work with the Red-Eye Student Newspaper for breaking the story. I want to repeat our recommendation of November 29th. Governor Bashir should appoint a work group to review the curriculum and make suggestions. This work group must African Americans, LBGT, QI, Muslims, Jewish Americans, Hispanic Americans, as well as whites. We must make absolutely sure the Kentucky State Police and other uh, state law enforcement organizations have not been twisted into a bulwark of white Christian nationalism. So that was our statement on that. And I understand Governor Bashir's position because he needs to have the state police as a respected org- organization. A lot of people in the small towns and rural areas they really look up to and admire the state police. In Louisville, we seldom see the state police unless there's some sort of special circumstance, as in some were called in uh, around uh, uh, protests uh, involving Breonna Taylor. something, but we seldom see them here in, in Louisville, and so. He doesn't want the reputation of the state police tarnished. My feeling is the best way to avoid that is to get some folks that are not previously connected with the state police to come in and look at everything that is going on, to look at this uh, uh, Kentucky Department of Criminal Justice, uh, look at the instructional materials, evidently something has been going on for a period of years and people just haven't been just haven't paid attention to it it's it's sort of slipped under under the radar so yes uh, uh, there aren't that many police academies in kentucky the kentucky state police has one i believe lexington has one louisville has one and there's sort of a uh one uh in Richmond where sort of all the small town and locals uh, folks send their people to get proper police training. So we should be able to make sure that the police academies that we have in the state do a good job. And that's all that people I think are interested in. And uh, one of the problems with the Kentucky State Police Academy, they've been teaching, Robert E. Lee out of context. They've been teaching Adolf Hitler out of context, and there's just no reason for that uh, at this time, at this day and age. So um, we just need to get a handle on that. Uh, And uh, and and again, we understand Bashir's position, but he's just got to get a grip on that.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in our last episode, Terrence and I had spoke some on the desire to look at planning, but planning to create action. And this work group really seems to look like it could be something to compass that Um, off the top of your head. You know, what would be the plan for actions that this work group may take on?
2: Well. uh one, you know, in ordinary times uh pre-COVID, uh we would the civil rights organization, we would take a field trip to the Kentucky State Police Academy and mm-hmm. we would invite the students from Manual High School who broke the story. I mean, kudos to them.
1: Oh uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so uh 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 outstanding work uh, from the students at Manual High School. So Yes, we need to take a visit uh, 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 to the Kentucky State Police Academy, but the problem is COVID. I mean, you can't cram people together on a school bus and they're, you know, uh, so, but we need to take a look at the curriculum, uh, talk to the instructors, uh, understand what they're teaching, also get a grip on this sort of warrior policing that is uh Some police academies all across the country, they have these high paid consultants come in and teach a a brand of warrior policing where the people are the enemy. And it's, uh, instead of protect and serve, it's sort of a lot of shoot, shoot, bang, bang, how to drive the car really fast and all of that. And, uh, And so we just need professional policing uh if you read any of the works on police science 80% 90% of day-to-day police work is social work it really is it's mm-hmm. closer to social work than shoot shoot bang bang and so we don't need sort of recruitment materials that that stress the shoot shoot run fast uh bang bang drive the car fast grab somebody from on the ground, you know, jumping fences, all of that. Yes, mm-hmm. you have to do that. That's part of the training. But really, it's the last thing that you want to do. You know, we don't want people who will really join the police department to do that. Right. Really,
0: right. Local that, that's, that's one question I, I had about um, policing in general. And that this training is um, a lot of the training centered around what did they call it? The warrior mentality. Um, Mm -hmm. And they, there's a, there's a question there about, should there be more focus on, like you said, the social work aspect of it. And it is, it's good that they know how to handle themselves in a dangerous situation. That's, that's important. But when the bulk of your work is doing something, that doesn't include that at all how sensible is it that there's a large scale presentation on this end of the spectrum of your duties, but then there's less focus and preparedness on the, the social work side of it. Um, it's to me, and this, this is a very bad analogy, but it's what just came to my mind. And Brittany knows I'm I always think of some random analogy that probably doesn't work for others, but for me, it makes sense. So when you go to a decent it usually has
1: to do with basketball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this one doesn't, but oh, I could make it basketball, but I won't. So if you go to a decent restaurant where the chef comes out from the back and is like, oh, how's the food? Blah, 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 blah. Um, to me, it seems like that's a lesser part of their job as a chef is coming out and checking on with other people on how they enjoyed the food that they prepared. It's important because they need that feedback, but they don't go to culinary school and practice 80% of the time on how to interact with customers in the dining room. They learn how to cook because that's the biggest part of their role. And so, for me, why is there such a focus on the other side? If the bigger part of what you're doing should be that social work piece that you talked about.
2: Well, I think it's you know how American police departments came to be. Uh, you know, a lot of American policing does particularly in the South, the police organizations sort of evolved from night watches and uh, sort of local patrols because they had this fear of slave revolt. Uh, And they had this fear of free blacks and slaves mixing and plotting to uh, uh, free themselves from slavery. So that was a great fear and then You know, in the 19th century, really, police departments in in small cities and larger towns, it really wasn't respected in the ordinary sense of the word or considered to be professional in the ordinary sense of the word. And so the only sort of law officers that were respected, there was sort of this romance built around Western sheriffs and marshals, you know, in the Wild West, west of the Mississippi River. Then uh, tailing the 19th century, big city police departments, uh, a lot of corruption. I'm talking about Philadelphia, sh- Chicago, New York, Detroit, a lot of corruption, uh, police working both sides of the line, so to speak. Then the 20th century comes, police not really respected. You know, Hollywood made a series of movies you know, called the Keystone Cops. Remember that? The key, well, the Keystone Cops and sort of these bumbling, fumbling police officers. You can look them up in their old series of black and white movies. And so that was the image of police. And so borderline, corrupt, keystone fumbling, not professional. Then so sort of the 20th century, uh, there are various urges to not only professionalize the police, but change the image. You know, Hollywood comes up with Dragnet uh, uh, early on, then um, Adam 12, then then uh, the TV show SWAT because LA uh, Police Department, had, you know, they, they say they had the first SWAT team, they, they say, and so on and so forth. So, And then you had the, the evolution of state police organizations from quote unquote highway patrols, right? And so you you know, you had these officers on the highway, on the on our, you know, sort of new ish highways as the automobile became prevalent. Uh then the highway patrols sometimes evolved in the state police and they wanted to professionalize the state police. So what model did they have to professionalize the state police? Or sometimes they would hire uh um uh, In certain states, they would hire professional military officers to train the budding new 20th century invention uh, state police that evolved from highway patrols. And so that was sort of a a paramilitary model to professionalize your police department. A lot of times in state police organizations, they had height requirements because they wanted the officers to be impressive. So they would have height requirements uh, you know, like five foot 11 at least because you were out on the highway alone. So they wanted a guy and of course be a white guy with six feet tall, with broad shoulders, uh, uh, you know, with a, you know, with a pressed uniform, erect posture. So uh, a lot of times on this military model, they had state police barracks. You know, you had the former military officer Officers sort of professionalizing the state police on a military model, so hiring guys six feet tall, 200 pounds, broad shoulders. So, uh, uh, and so you're trying to professionalize, and so when you professionalize, what model was chosen? It wasn't the social work model. So that's where I'm going with. So when they mm-hmm. chose to professionalize policing, uh, particularly state police, it wasn't the so it wasn't the model that was chosen. So here we are, the civil rights movement, uh, the anti-war movement, and a lot of people equated the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement with disorder or crime, which they weren't, that is the civil rights protests and anti-war protests it's not crime, it's not disorder, it's people standing up for their rights or demanding social change. And so people wanted, uh, some people wanted their police departments to become more militarized to deal with what they saw, some people saw as disorder Mm -hmm. or threats to uh, uh, the established system or the established hierarchy
1: which we've seen quite a bit here in Louisville. So from my understanding, you've been down at the protest sites quite a bit at what they're calling Injustice Square. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the police presence there?
2: Well, here's the thing about uh, the Breonna Taylor case. Uh, Very respectable, Black leaders think that if the mayor had fired all three police officers to that case immediately, not just, not just Officer Hankinson, all three, that the protest would not have occurred the way that they did, mm. that uh, Tyler Girth would not have been shot, mm. Mr. McAtee would not have been sh- sh- shot and killed at 26 and Broadway because there was no reason for the police and National Guard to go to 26th and Broadway on that night. But there are respectable Black leaders that believe that none of this would have occurred if the mayor had fired all three of the officers in the beginning, Uh, 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 Hankinson, uh, Mattingly, and Cosgrove. So there are people who believe that. So historically, if you look back at the Kerner Report, the Kerner Report that came out of the 60s said that a lot of what we call riots were actually initiated by police behavior uh, historically. Uh, and so if you're a control in person, if you live in the suburbs, for instance, and don't really understand things that are going on, you may think that the presence of police Will intimidate people and cause people to behave, but sometimes it works exactly the opposite, because the people think that they are standing up for what is right, that Breonna Taylor shouldn't be dead, and that the officers should be fired, so on and so forth. And then you send the police in to you know to control them, to uh, uh, to antagonize them, to bully them. It, it has a, an, the opposite effect.
0: So, so that's what we go ahead. So a question I thought of as you were talking about that, um, going back to the training and the um, just the the types of training that was being taught for state police, how do you feel that that mindset and that training translates? Um, thinking of the the warrior mentality, the anti-Semitism, the racism of Robert E. Lee, how do you think that that transfers over to—and I'm curious on your thoughts on two perspectives. One, the perspectives from the officers, because we know that police officers are vital. Um, but two, the perspectives of people who then have to encounter police officers— knowing from past experiences what they've perceived from their behavior based on some of the ways that they are trained?
2: Well, the police are sort of one aspect of a failed system from the point of view of a lot of black, the black, brown, poor folk. Uh, the police are sort of the rough end uh, or the blunt end of a failed system of, uh, as uh, some people refer to the prison industrial complex. So the police are the blunt end of that. So even outside of you know, protests. On the day-to-day interaction, you have police roughing up certain kinds of people. You have police focusing a lot of attention on certain ends of town, on people who really aren't breaking any rules or doing anything wrong. You have police filling out uh, police reports with false information on them on a regular basis. You have police putting incorrect information on warrants on a regular basis. You have the police giving false testimony on the stand on a regular basis. You have black, brown, and poor people you know, going to jail for things they didn't do, pleading guilty for the things they didn't do, ending up with criminal records and not able to fulfill their potential, uh, going to jail and prison, being criminalized, coming out of jail, not being able to vote, uh, not able to affect their own destiny uh, because they're not able to vote or not able to create wealth. Uh, and so it's a system of oppression that the police are merely the blunt end of. That is, the as far as elites are concerned, they have a body of people that they have set up to keep society under control. That is, you have the police, you have the prosecutors, and you have the judges. The judges, and the prosecutors can consider themselves to be the brains and the police or the brawn, the brains and the brawn. And so as far as the brains and the brawn keep society under control uh, on behalf of you know elites. So, but black and brown and poor people are simply not satisfied with the system as it exists. And so the, the, the question becomes, what is the purpose of policing in the 21st century? That is, mm-hmm. a, there's a professor at the University of Eastern Kentucky University, he the phrase, uh, uh, and I wish I remembered his name, he came to Louisville to speak, but he, he, he wrote a piece that said the purpose of American police is to control dissent, not crime. And he caught a lot of heck for saying that. Uh, and and so if you have a society where economic inequality is increasing at a steady rate, where the opportunity to become part of the middle class is decreasing at a steady rate, uh, where the opportunity for a person to create more wealth than their parents is decreasing or become eliminated, then you might have more unrest and elites are aware of that. And so they might want a increasing numbers of police, uh, a more militarized police. They might want that because they are deliberately and purposely creating increasing levels of inequality deliberately
1: hmm. Yeah, I, I want to take a moment to interrupt just a little bit in true pandemic fashion. You might hear my dogs barking here every so often, um, because as most of our listeners know, we are consistently having to do this by Zoom in order to make sure that we are upholding the pandemic requests by the governor to stay uh, safe at home. Um, I also kind of wanted to jump back over to the work group in itself, Um, you know, we're talking about representation and lack thereof, and so You know, for anyone that's listened to us ongoing, I have a two-part question. (laughs) Um, One being, how do you feel about also including persons with disabilities as a representative group in there, whether it be physical disabilities or mental disabilities, which we're seeing a lot of concerns with in terms of that presence alongside any policing of areas. And then the second part would be who, as the Kentucky Alliance or or spokesperson for them right now, um, do you all propose appointing this work group?
2: Well, um, I would welcome people with disabilities being on any type of work team um, or board of commission that the mayor or the governor might put together. Um, The way society is set up now it's set up to disappoint a lot of people. And it's a lot of people are under stress, a lot of people are going to counseling, a lot of people are on uh, mood stabilizers or psychotropic medication mm-hmm. just to cope with the world that they live in. You've got all these soldiers coming back from uh, Iraq and Afghanistan with post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of the Those folks are in treatment. Some of those folks are on uh, mood stabilizers. And so we can't rule all of these people out of positions of of decision-making and responsibility. Uh, And there are, as I say, it's a high stress society um, where there's a lot of pressure put on people to excel, to achieve, but opportunity is, is is decreasing, not increasing in this country. A lot of people think that the United States is the only country in the world where you have an opportunity to create more wealth than your parents. No, the United States is about 10th or 12th on that list. About 10th or 12th. There are other countries that provide uh, more of an opportunity to create more wealth and have a better quality of life than your parents. In the United States, has not been number one on that list for a long, long time. So, uh, people are in counseling, and people that are not in counseling need to be, but they're afraid they'll be stigmatized if they if they do it they tell anybody about it, and uh, and so they're uh, uh, so. Yes. Uh, And so as far as that is, I think the first thing to do as far as this work group, as far as uh, the state police and other uh, criminal justice organizations to uh, inspire the governor uh, to let him know that this is a good idea and uh, the Kentucky Alliance and I'm sure other worthy groups would be, be willing to work with the governor when he makes that decision. Okay,
1: thank you. Um, I also just wanted to ask, too, earlier you had mentioned, you know, the problem is COVID in terms of not being able to visit the police academy like you said that you all typically would have done. Um, Do you feel like government program and and even business uh, oversight is harmed by this pandemic?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there was a letter that uh, was signed by a variety of groups uh, and sent to the governor and the the leaders of uh, the state of Kentucky about requesting information about access to the state capitol in 2021. Because ordinarily, citizens go to the state capitol uh, during the session; they go to uh, Lobby their state representatives. Uh-huh. You have grassroots lobbyists as well as uh, paid lobbyists. Uh, uh-huh. There's a whole culture of that uh, that exists during this the session, and so people go to to uh, not only speak with uh, their elected officials, but they go to Frankfurt to speak with the bureaucrats uh, uh, that are getting paid to run the government. And question. Uh, as detailed in this letter, just what is the access to the state capital going to be in 2021? In, uh, so we don't know that yet. As of right now, um, who did I look in? Uh, uh, it was either, uh, it was one of, uh, I don't want to say which ones, it was one of the newsletters that I get from the state, uh, you know, the state uh, senators and the State legislators, they all have newsletters that they send out. And I said as of right now, access to the capital will be limited, as of right now. So that's what we know so far, but it's definitely uh that is for instance, say going to committee meetings.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, generally during the session, grassroots people go to committee meetings and sometimes speak at them.
0: I have so and, and, and you're right, I, I talked to some people in the legislature this week who expressed that there is going to be some very limited access this session. Um, they may even have one committee room per chamber and have very few, if any, people who can come in. Um, since we've, we've been operating in this space uh, f- since March... Is there, just to kind of circle back and kind of close this loop, is there any, are there some suggestions that you would give for how people can, in light of the pandemic and virtual communication options, but these important issues like addressing the training that they were receiving and asking for a work group, asking for new training, asking for um, retraining, how are some ways that people can do that while staying safe and being virtual?
2: Well, I believe but you can contact uh, the governor's office uh, through the website, his website. And so you can probably just write a Word document and then cut and paste your Word document into the, the block. I mean, that would probably be the easiest way to do it. That way you could sort of get it the way that you want it and then uh, stick it in there. And then I think there are phone numbers for people who aren't uh, technological in that way. There are phone numbers to the governor's office where you can leave a message. So that might be one way. With state legislators, uh, the Senate and the House, there is a phone number that you can call and you leave a message and this message is printed on a green slip and taken to their offices. So I don't have that number with me, but uh, uh, those are some of the ways. And of course, with most of your state senators and representatives, they have email addresses. uh, And some of your state reps actually are accessible, but you can actually call them and speak to them either on their... uh, uh, Official line or on their cell phone, depending on whether or not uh, you've established a relationship with your state rep or state senator.
1: It's a wonderful point. Um, KA, I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, we're going to take a little break here and we'll see you in just a minute.
0: You are listening to We and You here on Ford Radio 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. So that was fun. Um it was really good to talk to KA. Um first just your general thoughts, Brittany. What did you think of our conversation?
1: Yeah, so As usual, um, and those that listen to his station uh, would know, K.A. has a lot of brilliant thoughts and a lot of deep knowledge of history in America, um, specifically when it also uh, adds the additional Black history, which many of us did not grow up on in our U.S. government and U.S. history classes. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jason Reynolds. I'm <laughs> actually learning a lot more lately than I had before um, based on his book, Stamped. So um, I would recommend, you know, listening into KA some more, listening and reading some of those other Black historians out there, um, and just, you know, dive in. As usual with history and most everything, Everybody still has their own opinions, um, their own ideas, their own knowledge of what they believe did, did not happen. Some of it, of course, is very factually based. And some of it is so dated that (laughs) um, it takes a lot of diving into to see what actually could surround facts within the statement, the historical statement.
0: Right. No, I think it's very important that people learn more about history and black history and really any history that's not been sanitized and just (laughs) modified to reflect, um, certain groups as the victors in every situation and as the, the valued and people of valor, um, in every situation, but more realistic Recon, recognition of what actually happened um mm-hmm. going away.
1: yeah i mean think about it like people of valor right we could name how many white men usually of valor but when it comes to black history we've got martin luther king jr rosa parks and malcolm x is that about it
0: uh that is That's pretty the m-
1: could <laughs>
0: yep uh, the only thing is recently we added Barack Obama to that list and
1: oh and Harriet Tubman yeah most people know Harriet Tubman yeah
0: Harriet Tubman Oprah Winfrey the end oh. <laughs> <laughs> so i i I wanted to talk
1: about sirens <laughs> you want to talk about sirens
0: yes i definitely want to talk about sirens as as they go by um but part of talking about sirens is it, to, just to reflect back on our discussion about the police training and i wanted to circle back about just the the contents of the training and before we talk about that i wanted to read the statement from our office the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights about that training And then also reiterate that after further um, instances of this came out that we we stand by everything that we said. But also we definitely recognize and push for some change in what is being used as training and really retraining some of those people who took – those classes um so i'll read what we put out and then we can comment on that for everyone so the training materials used by kentucky state police the very organization and profession entrusted with protecting kentuckians from violence and hatred were abhorrent in a time where the actions of police officers are being openly questioned The existence of these types of values being instilled in our state police force definitely shocks the conscience and further raises concerns around the culture and purpose of the police force. The police, by their very sacred creed, are supposed to be there to serve and protect us all. It is not unreasonable, however, for some groups to question that creed and its practice, with the department's open and obvious flirtation with the likes of Adolf Hitler and Robert E. Lee. Anti-Semitism and racism of any kind should not be promoted within the ranks of those tasked with protecting and serving all of us within the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Our police forces should instead be focused on improving community relations and facilitating trust that they are there to serve all Kentuckians and not just a select few. We call on Kentucky State Police to not only publicly denounce these trainings and swiftly identify and correct the impetus for their inclusion, But to also commit to renewed focus on racial and and ethnic equality and fairness. We ask that they publicly explain this commitment and work with us to develop a plan for moving forward in a manner that develops more inclusive and sensitive practices. Lastly, we ask that any cadet receiving this training be trained with our co-created and more culturally aware practices. As an agency focused on equality and charged with eradicating discrimination and hatred, we are disheartened as this type of behavior and training is beyond the pale. As Kentuckians, we are outraged, but as people and humans, we are understanding. We are understanding in the sense that we know we all make mistakes, but we also implore you to work with us in correcting them and providing a more safer and tolerant Kentucky. So what, what do you think from that, Brittany?
1: I mean, I, one, of course, think that I completely back the commission statement, not only as an employee, (laughs) but also someone that is consistently there to assist in enforcing human rights. And call me a flower child, but I'm right there with my daisy expecting our officers to be what the state of Kentucky has requested to call them, which is peace officers, right? I don't need enforcement of authority. I want enforcement of peace. So how do we get back to that? Or were we ever that? I haven't spent (laughs) my life here. What do you think?
0: (laughs) So first off, you you lost me at daisies and Hippie. Uh <laughs> so now I'm nobody said hippie. <laughs> oh, my bad. Well, see, you lost me so much that I couldn't even hear what came after it. No, <laughs> I I think I think that you are on the money. Um for quote unquote peace officers, you should use the teachings of people who promoted peace. And mm-hmm. when I think of peace, I don't think of Adolf Hitler and Robert E. Lee. I think mm-hmm. they are the antithesis of peace. Um, and by building your training around those individuals, I, I, I find issue with that. And I think that we can only get to true peace and peace officership um, by being more community oriented and focused on we talked about it with ka actually um mm-hmm. having some of that social work piece and understanding and one one thing that i r- pushed for and think is very on the money in this conversation is intervention teams for police forces where if it's not something that's that requires a person to show up with a badge and gun you have other ways to address issues and you have other people who show up to a call because if if you send the person trained in that training with hitler and robert e lee and you send them to a group of people who were historically hated by hitler or robert E. lee yes then you can't expect the results to be the, to be great and i i don't i don't know why peace officer trading would include these types of statements and commitments
1: i agree i agree it's definitely something that needs to be addressed Um, we had previously been told that it was addressed and it was a, a dated and likely singular training. Um, and, and then we found out that it wasn't necessarily. So we need some of that oversight. We need people with their eyes on it, on the trainings that maybe even perhaps like with the mention of the workforce or in another objective, not even be a part of the academy itself.
0: No, I think that makes sense. Um, and y- you mentioned this, and I could call back to an earlier episode, but there is something to be said about not just doing groups and task forces and all that stuff and, and just doing something. And I think I think a, a task force or a working group is great in reshaping and reimagining how they do things, but I also think right now um, we need those things to change ASAP and Mm -hmm. have some involvement right now in what it looks like, instead of planning what it could look like. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I wish they had taken us up on that offer to help co-create some type of training that's more inclusive. And we, we could follow up on that. I do know that J. Michael Brown with the governor's office has been tasked with reviewing, um, their policies and that that could also be an avenue to to address but overall i think right now we definitely need to step up and do something as opposed to working to create a plan that creates a plan that makes a plan um we need to we need to be the plan and do it and so i think well
1: I'm... sorry go ahead
0: no no, no you're good <laughs>
1: I'm just thinking, yeah, exactly. But with that in mind, we're not the ones that are being trained, right? So I really just also, for any officer out there listening, want to empower you to take on your own initiatives, to train yourself with the histories of being an officer and what that looks like and how can you be more inclusive and more soft in your approach because we have so many pieces of authority on there and the governor's office or Michael J. Brown can enforce J. Michael Brown. Sorry. I apologize. Michael J. Uh, Fox, (laughs) uh,
0: Jamie Fox.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can enforce um, certain objectives and changes, but if it's not being, addressed within the offices themselves within the trainers themselves within the officers that are receiving those train trainings um you know there's almost that what's the point type of mindset in some bits or that argument that you know we want the people that we are helping teach these things to, um, teaching anti-discrimination to, anti-racism, we want them to not just hear it, but to exhibit it and to live it. And is it going to matter as much if they're just being told by people above them, hey, this is what you need to do now?
0: No, and I I think... You're right. And I also, I know quite a few police officers who are interested in this and they're training themselves because there has been some lack of uh, really consistent teaching or requirements to learn these things. I had someone who recently became an FBI agent reach out to me and ask about how they could be more sensitive and aware and out of, out of nowhere, he just asked me, and I was like, first off, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know that he's not the only one, and there are plenty of people in law enforcement who really want to do the right thing, because for the bulk of the people who enter law enforcement, they enter it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that's reiterated. Um, I My one worry is for some of those people who enter for the right reasons and want to do such good if you're getting training that's like be a warrior and learn from these racist anti-semitic people like do you get warped in your training that shifts your view from wanting to go in there for the right reason and then it's like oh huh warrior 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 and then you You start to shift away from why you even started it, and that's probably rare, but even if it happens once, that's one time too many. And I
1: mean, but is it that rare? If we look at the history of war, we've got, what, the battle cry, and the whole premise of that is to get everybody on the same page, to enthuse this excitement and this fear at the same time which essentially takes on, I'm going to get a little uh, psychological over here, um, our fight or flight modes, right? And so if we're in that mode, we're not using our prefrontal cortex to make decisions that are based on our personality and our values. We are just doing what we feel like we can right there in that moment to quote unquote, maintain as much safety as possible for ourselves. I don't know why I said quote unquote, quoting myself in that, Whatever it happened.
0: <laughs> you know, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Look <Love. Sorry. laughs> no one
1: ever said I was perfect. <laughs>
0: they didn't. Well, they should have. <laughs> um, no, I I think that there there's definitely a lot of that, but and what I'm was saying was for the people who come in completely pure, If you are exposed to all of these suggestions that maybe you shouldn't be, then maybe that then changes your view in approaching the job before you even get to start it. And so even if that happens once, that's way more than it should. And so we need to make sure that people are careful and considerate and inclusive and thoughtful And all those other words that mean that you look into every possible outcome and scenario when you're putting, shaping the minds of people who are going to be enforcing our laws.
1: Sounds great. Um, And in terms of all of those adjectives, I just want to promote to be equitable.
0: Yep. Be equitable and be smart. (laughs) thank you all for listening
1: you'll hear us again next week as a reminder any views expressed on the program do not represent those of Forward Radio or its board of directors the music you hear throughout this recording was produced by Esquire Music alongside Spice Productions